Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Yes, it does. Sarah and Wolf live from the NASDAQ market side. As always, this is Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan. And once again, from Melissa Lee, good evening, everybody. Your traders on the desk tonight are Mr. Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, stock staging a rebound after Friday's sell-off. But should you put your faith in stocks now when so many out there seem to be getting bearish? The desk here will break down the outlook. Stocks may be up today, but whew, oil is not China demand collapsing, crude off to its worst start in more than 20 years. Is this just the beginning of an even deeper route for oil and the equities? We'll look for some answers. And the seemingly unstoppable Tesla. Shares have almost doubled this year, and today it has its best day in six years. But the chart master says, you better be careful. We're going to find out why. All right, good evening, everybody. We have got a big hour. Thanks for joining us. We are going to start with the last of the FANG names to deliver their results. That, of course is Google. Its parent company, Alphabet, dropping, though, after reporting numbers. Josh lifted out in San Francisco with more. Josh, why the 5% haircut for Alphabet tonight? So, uh, Brian, just spoke with CFO Ruth Porad on this brief media call. I did ask her about this um, revenue miss. So the company beat on the bottom, but revenue came in at $46.1 billion. Street was actually closer to $46.9 billion. There was this shorter uh, holiday period this year. Um, I did ask uh, Ruth Porad any specific uh, challenges or headwinds that maybe investors or analysts should keep in mind. Um, she did say that, listen, in her opinion, they continue to be uh, very happy and pleased with what she describes as ongoing strength of the company. Called out. Um, that she was very pleased specifically with cloud momentum. Hardware, she said, did sell well over the holidays, but it was compared to a stronger report than last year, perhaps suggesting some tough comps there. A uh, company did provide some more disclosure, new disclosure this time around on search, on YouTube ad revenue, pour out saying um, that was a $15 billion business in 2019. On the cloud business, too, some new metrics there, pour out saying that that ended tw- 2019 on a $10 billion annualized uh, run rate. So what to sort of make of all this. I just got off the phone with uh, Aaron Kessler from Raymond James. He covers the name. I want to get his response. He did note that besides revenue, um, operating income also at $9.3 billion did miss his forecast. Investors, and here I just asked him about these new disclosures. He said it might have actually thought YouTube ad numbers were, were a bit higher than reported. And finally, cloud, um, again, that $10 billion annualized run rate, they broke out $2.6 billion for the most recent quarter. In Kessler's opinion, cloud, uh, that disclosure Disclosure, those numbers, not a big surprise in his opinion. Of course, uh, Google's rivals in this space, Amazon, Microsoft, recently reporting strong cloud numbers themselves. This call is just kicking off, and we'll bring you headlines as they come. Brian, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you very much. He's going to hop on the call. And, Josh, be sure to flag us for anything that you hear that is interesting, newsworthy, or stock moving on the call. Guy Adami, this is a company that you can be disappointed with the revenue growth, I guess. Their quarterly revenue last quarter was greater than their annual revenue less than a decade ago. Incredible. Yeah, and Karen can speak to this a lot more intelligently than I can, but I'll say this. People are looking at the revenue number. I get it, and the stock's had a huge run, probably for good reason, given what we've seen with some of these other stocks. So just take that broader revenue number aside. YouTube ads were up, I think, 30% year over year, and Google Cloud, which is probably 5% of the overall revenue, is probably up 
55% year over year. You still have a very reasonable stock in terms of valuation. And this pullback, I guess, sort of makes sense given the run it's had. You just got to figure out, I think, at this point, where you want to reenter. I don't necessarily think it's going to stop here. 1350, if you look at a chart, makes a lot of sense to well, me. Well, the 50-day moving average is 1378 or so, so I agree with your numbers there. What happens if the YouTube income or the cloud business is what we're listening to right now doesn't impress the street? Everyone wanted more transparency, but maybe be careful what you wish for is my thought process in this. So maybe it's a sell signal to me. What do you think as far as the numbers? I mean, the the revenue was disappointing. I like the clarity because I think they weren't getting as much high evaluation as they could for some of these businesses. I also like the idea of them being more aggressive with their capital allocation. So we saw a big amount, a a big increase of buyback, uh, 18.4 billion for the year. I think it was a little over. It's about 6.1 billion for the quarter. They can even do more than that. Would you like to see them do more like than that, I would like to Karen? see more. I've, for a long time, and they finally they've picked it up a lot. But when you think about how ex- Apple did an extraordinary job of not just using their balance sheet, but also selling debt at, you know, I don't Nothing. know, 37 <laughs> basis points. Right. And using that to buy back stock, that worked tremendously well for them. Google has enough cash flow. Alphabet has enough cash flow to do that as well. Um, but the revenue was a little bit disappointing. I think the stock ran up on anticipation of, more transparency and that it would it would uh, the street would like the transparency. So it's sort of giving back all that plus some. Yeah, I think it's a function of where it came from. Obviously, today, if you just want to look at it on a very micro level, the stock was up three percent. So it's giving all of that back and then some. I think you want to go back to November. The stock broke out. It was a massive breakout at thirteen hundred. That was the 2018 high. It was the level it topped out earlier last year. And then you think about where did it come from over the last six months? You know, the stock had nearly it nearly touched a thousand in early June, and then it nearly touched 1,500 just last week. So you think about this, where this thing is, it should go back to Guy's number, 1,300. That's the breakout level. That's where the stock has support. That's where there's probably some valuation support. And I'll just say the one thing, not a whole heck of a lot changed between June and then the time of the reporting their Q4 and basically the full year um, of 2019. What happened is multiples expanded. So here's a company that is growing, to your point, Sully, you have $150 billion in sales, growing 17% year year. That's astounding, but it is but that you're looking, you're the looking for that multiple expansion based on those numbers that they that they disclosed today. That's right. I mean, and maybe it maybe it's not enough to expand it the way, but I think you brought up an interesting point being November where they broke out. October's where they uh, where they missed, the stock fell 6%. So I think to fall again 6% is the 50-day from the recent top. That gives you that number again. The, the, coming into after hours guy, I mean the stock was still up 11% this year. I mean to to Dan's point today, 7% before that. So even with this drop, if it holds, this will still be a stock that is higher this year. With all these coronavirus concerns that we have got, is this a relatively macro-worry Free, insulated, thing. insulated. Yeah, thank I mean, you, you know, stock. Thank you, welcome. Steve talks about this all the time. I mean, 65, 70 percent of all stocks are basically correlated to the broader market. And if you believe, like I do, that there's still another downdraft, the answer is no, it's not going to be insulated. But if you think we're in this benign area where, you know, this coronavirus magically goes away, which I don't think is going to happen, then I think the 1350 level, which Dan mentioned, that's sort of where we broke out from in the middle of December. That makes a lot of sense. But, okay, so, so connect the dots. And if this is wrong, guy, please say it. Coronavirus is impacting the equity markets theoretically because China's going to slow down, impacting that big growth engine and consumer spending, possibly with U.S. companies that rely on China. Fair enough. Google is a company I don't believe in any way 
that relies on China or mostly consumer spending. Well, but, but hold on, Sully. I'm just going to interrupt here. I mean, interrupt. Where, where do they make most of their money? Ninety-some percent of Search advertising. Advertising is the most cyclical sort of business. We just haven't had a recession in 10 years. You don't remember what it looks like when people cut ad budgets. Talk to anybody in the TV business. They know about it. Now, obviously, there's a massive secular shift going on towards offline sort of stuff, but we haven't seen a material slowdown. What people are worried about is when this operating expense number and the percentage gets too high, close to that revenue number, and then you kind of go this way, that's when you have a problem with the stock that has a trillion-dollar multiple trading at 27 right. all, times. All that, all that is extremely ground. You're extremely educated. But when we look at the stock, it's traded two-thirds of it basically was on search. And then it went to the political antitrust issues. And now we're in the realm of it's about cloud and it's about the quote-unquote other businesses. So we have to decide tomorrow whether it's due a multiple expansion or continued multiple expanded based on these results. Eight billion, eight billion, nine, we'll call it nine billion in cloud revenue, but that looks like not much compared Nothing. to AWS. Are they losing to Amazon? They're, they're not only losing to Amazon. So the, the problem is, is that they're going after cloud business. Google's going after Amazon's cloud business, but Amazon is going after Google's search business. So it winds up a lose-lose after these numbers are released for Google, in my opinion. Yeah, I will say, Dan, I'm on the counter side of the TV side. I hear what you're saying and I get it. But the YouTube deal, which, by the way, could be the smartest deal of all time. I mean, you look at the numbers, whatever they paid, a billion dollars. It's going to be probably a $100 billion business. Isn't it kind of counter-TV cyclical? I mean, is, is TV maybe, you know, slows YouTube TV, which, by the way, sponsored a segment of the Super Bowl last night. Yeah, and maybe you tell me what percentage of the YouTube TV is going to be recurring, and are they making money on that recurring revenue, and what is the ad split? I mean, we just don't know. I mean, these businesses are huge black holes. They have seven properties that have a billion-plus, you know, like monthly active users. It's massive, right? But I think to Steve's point, ultimately, at some point, it's a bipartisan issue that regulators will come back for all of these companies. They have too much power. You want to see Sundar Pichai start to give us a little more insight, granular, into these numbers? inside I, these divisions? I do. I mean, just the fact they broke them out is that's a big step it's a for win, them. They, I mean, they used to break out nothing, right? And I think, you know, Ruth Porat was a very important step and now uh, okay. Pichai taking the reins. Hopefully the evolution continues. Well, we just talked about some big numbers. Let's talk about some bigger numbers, shall we? And turn to your other big story of the day and that is what else? It is Tesla. That electrified start to the year simply continues. Stock surging nearly 20% for its best day in roughly 7 years. And get this, the recent rally puts Tesla's market cap at $117 billion, Guy Adami. Mm. That means it is bigger than, or almost bigger than, IBM. It is bigger than American Express, bigger than Starbucks, bigger than your former company, Goldman Mm -hmm. Sachs. Tesla now up 86% this year alone. Dan, your big take on Tesla's big move, not just today, but this year. Yeah, I mean, just real quickly, I don't really have much to add other than it's a mania like I've not seen since the late 90s. And and I'll just tell you that. I mean, the stock will not be at $750 in a few months from now. It might be $2,000 or it might be, you know, $300. But it's not going to continue like this sort of activity. It can't. The fever is going to break at some point. Who's the Tesla buyer here? No, I, I, I can't answer that question. I mean, clearly, I'm somebody that thought was, thought was going to stop at $320, and here we are, you know, pushing up against 800 So, you know, again, I'll say it for the 500th time that I've absolutely missed the move. I don't know the answer to that question. Now it seems 
outrageous. However, you could have said the same thing two weeks ago, $200 this ago. Was, this was two outrageous. months ago, six months ago, whatever the number was. This was a business that was going out of business. Everyone was worried about that. And now this last leg, in particular today, was about the batteries. Yeah. So if you see batteries now, it's either a car company and then it's a whack-a-mole game. It's a car company, it's a tech company, it's a battery company. For me, it's not about short covering anymore because it's only about two days to cover. For me, when you say who's buying it, look at this environmental, look at ESG. There's a lot of money getting pushed into this, thrown out of chemicals, a lot of money chasing these type of investments. But it, and, and this would be, I think, Karen, considered one of, if not the only sort of pure play on electrification. I mean, there's hybrids, there's windmill companies, but... Right. This might be the only one, but that doesn't mean that, doesn't that it's mean worth it. this valuation. Right. Just because you're the only pure play doesn't mean any valuation is valid because you're the only one. One thing I checked on a borrow today. I was just curious how expensive is it to borrow? Not expensive. In fact, you get a rebate. That was a little bit surprising to me. There was in English, so, please. Meaning <laughs> that this is not a squeeze where people are getting where people are forced to cover their shorts. That's not what's happening so here. So what does that mean you get a rebate? You For our viewers, actually, you may not be professional short right, sellers. Right, so you lend your stock, and actually you get paid a small amount to, to uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you get paid a small amount to short their stock. You get a little bit of why, why credit. Would that, that's, that's, not, that's rare. No, no, no. It, that's, that's, on, a, on a company like this. Some on a company like this, absolutely. Biotech that's got all the goldfish remedies or something. You know? I thought it would be, you know, uh, expensive to borrow, uh, as many short squeezes are. That makes me think. Yeah, so, so real, real quickly, you know, ARK Investment, they've been on the show. They've been on the network a lot. They had this story down. At least it's playing out to the way that they, you know, think it should have. I just make this one point that if you do think it's a hardware company, you say, oh, well, you know, Apple's a hardware company. And uh, But here's the thing. They had 65% gross margins on a business that they were basically incubated from zero to 150 uh, you know, million units a year, um, creating an ecosystem around it. I mean, a car is a depreciating asset that you keep for, talk about elongated uh, upgrade cycles. I mean, people are not, I know a lot of people who bought their Model S in 2013 or 14 who still have them. They have not updated the design. This is a car company and ultimately none of these car companies will ever, you know, they've never been able to keep a $100 billion uh, market cap. So we, had a, okay, we had a couple Super Bowl commercials for electric cars last night. They're coming after Tesla. Anyway, the chartmaster says it may be time to pump the brakes on the stock. Cornerstone Macro's Carter Worth over at the Plasma to break it down and chart it up. Carter, lay it out. Well, it's a fun one, and it's a dangerous one, but that's what uh, fast money is all about. Let's look at the angle of the line and try to put it in perspective. So here's a chart, no judgments or annotations by me, and then let's move it forward and see what we've got. So we have this breakout. That's fairly well defined. And then we have the resolution of the breakout, which is the ascent since that point and then we have what I think you have to say is the blow-off. We are literally going up and to the left. Uh, you're not allowed to do that. You've got to go out to the right every day. It has all the elements of, of uh, what you would call parabolic. And so the issue is um, it's sort of knowing who you are in the market. We know that a breakout is a fairly well-defined thing. Uh, long-term, short-term, but tactically it's no different and history has shown this you see it in marijuana stocks, you see it in Bitcoin, you see it in dot-com stocks, you see it in so many instances. Even if it triples, a lot of people believe that, go to that 7,000 price target from ARK, that the path higher presumptively passes through a lower price. It's just too hot. Is this basically, Carter, uh, and come on over and you can answer or somebody else can answer as you're walking back, a stock that, for lack of a better explanation, is going to go up until it stops? 
<laughs> you know what I mean by that? I mean, people are just going to buy the momentum until it doesn't work anymore. None of the numbers matter. Well, so a couple of things. I mean, you, there's no way to approach it. Fundamentally, you can make up a long-term story for anything when you have no profits, right? McCall Sale never had a profit. They sold themselves. They were the first set to AT&T for fortune. The point is, though, it's not a short interest story anymore. There's only 21 million uh, short. It traded 47 today. Biggest volume ever. In fact, the real thing is this. It's only done this big a move twice in its history, on the IPO up 40%, and one other time up 24%. So this is the third biggest day ever. And then the value traded, this is the crazy part, today's value trade is $35 billion. That is 5x Microsoft and 2x, yes, Apple. That has only happened one other time in the history for Apple and two other times for Microsoft. So it's a frenzy. I know you want to get in here, Karen, but that's an important point, I think, to reemphasize what you just said. And you're not making a judgment call. Nobody out there, all the people, you know, that guy would say, don't at me, right? Don't at me, man. Which is the dollar volume traded on Tesla was 2x Well, it's two, more than 2x Apple and more than 5x Microsoft. Which, which have market caps at 8x Tesla. That's right. Uh, one third of the float essentially changed hands today. So let's say you, you did have the cojones to short this. Mm. Where would, your, where well, would you done, put a stop? Well, remember, we've done this on the do desk that. endlessly. We've, we've been long. We've been short. That's the nature. But you, you, like any position, you try it. And if you're wrong, you have your stop loss and you get out. But it has all the elements of what a blow-off top looks like. You draw in a lot of people. It gets steeper and steeper. And at some point, even if you believe it triples, the path higher passes through a lower price. Or what Dan was saying, it could be 300 so when you see, and, and this question is to anybody, because the market cap, to your point, or the, the volume of shares outstanding, Tesla effectively, to Carter's point, traded one-third of the amount of available stock that is outstanding. I'm just looking at Apple here to try to figure it out. Apple has how many shares outstanding? $4.3 billion, according to Capital IQ guy, and it traded 43 million shares out. So, it, Apple would have had to trade a billion plus shares to do effectively what Tesla right. did today. Tesla, I think that's Carter makes many great points. That's the most important point. It traded 46 million shares today. Typically trades 12 on a day where you saw it going parabolic. If there was ever a day to say this might have been it, it's today based on everything you just brought up and Carter said earlier. Yeah, I'll make one last point here. So if you're looking at the options market, you look one month out, what is the options market expecting? The at-the-money straddle, the 780 straddle, that's the call and the put. It's $140. You divide that by 780. That's the stock price. It's telling you that's an 18% move in either direction. That's a $140 billion stock expected to move that much in one month. It's just telling you. I did it today. Well, yeah, well, I'm just saying it, but that, that is just extraordinary. Extraordinary. All right, wow. Good stuff. Carterworth, some good data, again, on Tesla, which is truly a remarkable company, a remarkable stock. All right. We're going to hear much more about Tesla tomorrow morning from Ron Barron. Ron Barron, billionaire investor. He was an early Tesla bull. I would imagine he took a lot of flack for it. He will join the gang on Squawk Box 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. That interview will kick off. I know that Ron probably still very bullish on Tesla, but he can speak for himself tomorrow morning, Mm. 7 a.m. All right, coming up, racing for a cure. The biotech stock that surged today because they're starting testing for a coronavirus treatment. Plus, crude crushed on China concerns. Goldman giving up on Exxon, and nearly every stock is slammed. So maybe, is this the perfect storm to buy energy in? We'll debate. And be sure to watch or listen to us live on the go, anywhere you are on the CNBC app. As always, we are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back to Fast Money. We are continuing to follow new developments in the outbreak of the coronavirus. Here's what we know at this hour. More than 17,000 cases have now been confirmed worldwide. 11 of those cases here in the United States, including a second case of person-to-person transmission. Princeton University today asked 108 students to self-quarantine. China reporting 64 new deaths related to the outbreak just moments ago. In fact, Meg Terrell back at CNBC HQ with more on what is being done to try to stop or contain at least this outbreak. Meg. Hey, Brian. Well, the first line of defense is attempting to identify and isolate those who may be sick. And in the United States, that's led to unprecedented actions in quarantining U.S. citizens who've been to Hubei province, the epicenter of the outbreak, and turning away some foreign nationals based on their travel history. Now, all flights from China to the U.S. are being funneled to a set of 11 airports. The CDC said today that's not expected to catch every single traveler from China with the novel coronavirus, but that the goal is to identify the majority and to slow the entry of the virus into the United States. Now, the second line of defense is a public health system on high alert. Meanwhile, the drug industry is moving quickly on potential treatments and vaccines. The nearest-term opportunities are existing drugs developed to treat other viruses. And there was news over the weekend about an experimental medicine from Gilead used to treat the first patient here in the U.S. with the novel coronavirus. He appeared to improve after treatment, but experts caution that is not enough data to know yet if the drug works. And Gilead says it's working with China's health authorities to run a clinical trial, and that could give more answers. Brian, back to you. All right, Meg, thank you very much. Right, Gilead handing its best day since 2017. Steve Grasso, you like Gilead Sciences. I, I do, and I like the IBB. I'd rather buy the I, uh, ETF versus one name because it's too binary for me. So you're going to see this where they're working on a, on a cure or working on a vaccine. But the truth is, if one of them hits it and they develop a vaccine, they're all going to be forced to share it on a federal level. So I don't think this is something where you buy Gilead or any other name based on the fact that they, they're the ones that are going to be the sole recipients of any type of profit from this because all of them are going to have to share because they're not going to be able to produce enough so everyone has to share in the profit. And so Steve Grasso says maybe buy the IBB. All right, I'm going to channel my inner going? Carter Worth. Oh, look at you. Yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about oil. So I get to go over to the plasma guy. Be Donnie. careful. This will be my fast pitch. All right, so I want to talk about oil because obviously this has been a huge part of the market as well, folks, and the coronavirus and global demand slowdowns, everything is factored in. So let's go Go to the, cha- uh, the, the charts here, I guess. Call me the chart not master. <laughs> WTI crude, $49.91. Okay, below $50 a barrel. This is the worst start for oil in more than 20 years. Actually, nearly 30 years as well. And this is really a one-month chart of oil. And there's been nowhere to go but down. And keep in mind, back in early December, we were over in Vienna, Austria, as OPEC was extending and making increases to its production cuts, effectively 2.1 million barrels a day, if you believed all the numbers, and yet oil can't get out of its own way. Okay, so let's, let's talk more about this. Something that we talked about on the show, The Exchange, about two weeks ago. Why? Well, China is the second biggest consumer of crude oil behind the United States at about 13.5 to 14 million barrels a day. If you think 20 to 30 percent of China's demand is going to come offline because you're not flying, you're not driving, you're not taking trains, planes, or automobiles, 
then you could see two to three million barrels a day of demand come out of the global supply. Now, luckily, demand is, is about 100 million barrels a day, so it makes it really easy from a math perspective, about a two, per th- two to three uh, percent drop every day in millions of barrels. Now, OPEC, as we talked about, their technical committee, it's called the JMMC very boring. This is not the ministerial meeting. They are meeting tomorrow and on Wednesday to kind of crunch the numbers. OPEC's next official meeting, the one that we go to and we stand in the stairwell, that's set for March 5th. But everybody we're talking to says, look for that to be moved up, pushed by the Saudis, because they don't like this price as well. And by the way, looking at some data from Aegis Capital, Shorts, they are really pressing their bets. Hedge fund shorting on oil futures, according to Aegis, is up 52% in a week. Also, do we care about the stocks? Of course we do. You watch Fast Money. This is WTI crude versus the XOP, one of the most widely owned oil and gas ETFs. This has been nothing short of a disaster. That's where that OPEC meeting was. A little bit of life, guys, put into oil and gas here as those production cuts kind of went through the market. But guess what? The coronavirus and everything else, global demand fears, wiping out all of the gains and more. And Guy Adami, by the way, Goldman Sachs, which was neutral on the biggest of them all, ExxonMobil, for three years today, threw in the towel. Goldman Sachs cutting ExxonMobil to a sell for a lot of reasons and a $59 target. So I ask you this. Everything is going against oil right now. Maybe it's the darkest before dawn. Mm. Any reason to own energy, given that everybody, everybody hates it as much as you can hate any sector. There was a trading opportunity in the oil services names in the fall that we talked about, Schlumberger being one of them with a huge double bottom. It had a 30% move over the course of a month and a half, two months. I think that's over. Good for Goldman Sachs with their $59 price target, a dollar from where we are now. We've been talking about Exxon for a long time headed in this direction. You really want to draw a line in the sand? Go to Chevron and look at $100. That happens to be the low that we saw, I think, in December of 2018. That's a huge number. These big cap integrated names, not only everything you just talked about working against them, but this whole ESG craze that we talked about with Halima Croft three weeks or so ago. So I don't see any compelling reason to try to lick your finger and put it up in the air and think this is a bottom. Well, we were oversupplied. Now we've moved to the under-demand side of it. So OPEC, to your point, has a couple of different choices, whether they cut or whether the Saudis unilaterally cut. And either one is not going to make a difference to me. Geopolitical couldn't send this up. Cuts couldn't send this up. I think we're oversupplied and now we're under demand. I think lower for longer is going to be about oil, not just about rates. Let me ask you, where do we get where in the U.S., what price of oil do we start to see production get cut meaningfully? You nailed it. I mean, that's the problem. Listen, I mean, Oil is a four-letter word, D-E-B-T, debt. And there's a couple hundred billion dollars in debt that's outstanding. Here's the problem. You can hate cartels. Everybody, you know, for OPEC was a four-letter word for 40 years, right? They're a cartel. They're price fixers. There's probably people out there right now that wish the U.S. producers could get together and say, stop the madness, because here's the sick irony. The more indebted companies, and there are companies out that have net debt to EBITDA three, four, five times they're EBITDA. And I'm not picking on these names. Names like Laredo and Matador and some of these stocks, which are down 30% this year, they have to keep drilling. Well, just, well, just think, just so think about answer, this, though. Short answer, Karen, I don't think there is a price well, on the way up for Brian, to keep Brian and, and Karen, on the way up, they said at 50, you're going to see a massive amount of supply come on. So I think it's, it's that 42 is a major level in WTI crude. And every $10 or so, that's where you see the real issues come on when, when, when production comes back on 
in the uh, well, by the way, and by the way, it's not just oil. If you're out there and you're talking about natural gas at a buck eighty, below two bucks, you got to look at a Chesapeake, which is fifty three cents a share. It was a sixty dollars stock a decade ago. I mean, this is what's happening. The troublesome thing is Guy and I used to talk about refiners. Their input costs are going down. They should be the ones that are reaping the benefits now. It's not just mm-hmm. E&P that's getting hurt. It's refiners are getting hurt. That tells Bottom you line, you that buy of any oil and gas seller. stocks right seller. now. Any seller. 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 Guy's a seller. I don't see any, look, no I don't see any real reason. To, I mean, again, what is, you're playing stock market here, and there's no real reason to do it. And and quickly, you know, we, we didn't even talk about the fact that the globe is slowing down. I mean, that's working against all these companies as well. So you can say what you want. And when we start talking about regional banks in the southwest, in Texas and stuff, start to go potentially belly up based on everything you just said, that's really problematic. I don't even think we realize how big a deal it could be to the broader market. Okay. Good discussion there on what has been just an absolutely devastated set. I know Kramer hates it as well. Everybody, Everybody's against it. All right. Well, as the dangerous coronavirus continues to spread, join us tonight for a CNBC special report, Coronavirus, Mm. 7 p.m. Eastern Time. All the facts that you need to know, again, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, if you're curious, and you should be, particularly with the economic environment and everything that it could impact, tune in tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. In the meantime, here's what else we have coming up on Fast. U.S. stocks staging a strong rebound Monday. But should you believe the rally? The traders break down where they see the markets going. Plus, Nike getting a boost today on not one, but two big calls. We'll tell you what's getting the street so bullish in our call of the day. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street making a bit of an about-face today following Friday's big sell-off. The Dow, the S&P 500, and NASDAQ all did close up in the green. The NASDAQ was up more than 1%. Yet some stronger-than-expected manufacturing numbers helping drive today's gains. But, of course, those coronavirus fears still persist. And your next guest is one of Wall Street's biggest bulls. And maybe now he's on pullback watch. Let's find out and bring in Julian Emanuel. He is BTIG's chief equity and derivatives Strategist, okay, I think you had, Julian, by the way, welcome. Good evening. Great to the be here. The third highest target on the S&P 500 of the, the watch strategist, correct? Uh, yes. Are you still there? Or are you taking that number down? No, we are still there. And actually, if you think about it, at December 31st, that upside only represented about 6%. So from that point of view, there is still a note of conservatism going on in, in the community. We look out and we look at election hedging. 
there's still conservatism going on there. The thing is, is that the market X, even if we didn't have the coronavirus as a catalyst, we got so overbought in January. Uh, we look at the monthly relative strength index. You hit 70, 13th time in 40 years. Two things tend to happen. Number one, looking out medium and long term, stocks continue advancing, double digits. There could be upside risk to our 3450 number. But the bigger picture right now, in the here and now, is that things become more volatile. And with what's going on politically and what's going on in terms of the public health, a pullback. Are you, I mean, we've got the second biggest economy in the world effectively on lockdown. Lockdown. We've got concerns about pandemics. We've got people being quarantined at American universities now. Arguably not a lot of cases, thankfully, in the United States yet. But are you surprised we haven't seen more of a pullback, more volatility? Why, why do we go up today when we lost 600 on Friday? The ISM manufacturing number was, and, and that's, was and the very ISM positive. the ISM manufacturing number, which they pulled off because they changed the data in, is going to overcome concerns about coronavirus? Well, we think ultimately you're just in this period where there's going to be volatility to the upside and volatility to the downside, and you're going to have a lot of headline risk. And so, look, if we get an outcome uh, in Iowa tonight that the market interprets as, as something that's a threat, say the progressives do even better than expected or, or, or the, uh, the moderates do not do as well, that could be something that causes a pullback. So give me the wrap this up on a macro level for me on, on sectors, just to give the viewers something to look at here. When you look at tech, that's been outperforming. And when you look at these growth names, these momentum names, but what hasn't performed for me has been my chemical play. So I have an idea. My premise is that with all this ESG investing, when you screen for these, a lot of the chemicals are being thrown out. But the truth is, they're just not sexy when you're comparing it to a Tesla. When are these chemical or cyclical plays going to start, if ever, to perform? So there's no question about the fact that ESG has had a huge uh, influence on some of these deeper cyclicals, certainly energy, you just spoke about it. We would liken it to, you know, thinking about a higher volatility environment like 2018, right? Nothing moved in a straight line throughout 2018. We think we're returning to that. You think about something like the tobacco stocks in 2000 when every executive raised their hand in front of Congress and, and talked about tobacco. And over the next 20 years, tobacco stocks outperformed, despite the fact that they're continually being downsized in those types of portfolios. So from our point of view, what you could see and what you've had from time to time over the last several years is when technology momentum slows or reverses, money finds its way and rotates back into those areas. All right, Julian Emanuel, BTIG. Julian, we appreciate your views as always. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Karen, you remain optimistic, Macro? I do, but I, I actually was hoping we'd come and see a down day today. You know, we had the bad sell-off on Friday. China opened, you know, down, I guess, seven point something, I forget. And they're pumping money there, $173 billion. But I was hoping we would see a down day, more of a flush out, and then hopefully sort of a turnaround Tuesday. This rally today seemed like a bit of a head fake. Um, I wouldn't really be a buyer on this, but I am more optimistic in the long term. I'll tune in tomorrow, Karen. Mm. I'll find out what happens. All right, coming up, our calls of the day on Nike, why analysts multiple say the stock is a valuation play right now. And we are getting ready for Disney earnings out after the bell tomorrow night. How options traders say that you should play Disney right now. Fast Money is back in two.
And welcome back to Fast Money. The consumer discretionary sector finishing just shy of a brand new all-time high today, even with everything else going on. As a handful of big consumer names kicked off the week with a breakout. One of the biggest winners was Nike, company the subject of our calls of the day. UBS upgrading Nike to a buy from a neutral on valuation, while J.P. Morgan Chase added Nike to its analyst focus list, saying the recent pullback is a great opportunity to get in. Nike finished the day up more than 3%, and J.P. Morgan Chase says we've got a, quote, multi-year buying opportunity on our hands. Karen, do you buy that call? I, I mean, Nike's expensive, but it should be expensive, right? They are the premier name. I don't love when a multiple expansion is part of the, the bull case, right? But it is, I mean, they've really done an extraordinary job. I think we might have a chance to get in at a better price. Hmm. But I, lo- I long term, if this were your only chance to get in tomorrow for the next however long, then I would say yes, buy it. I think she's right. 29 times next year's numbers in this environment, people are going to say, you know what, that might be a little expensive. I understand it's pulled back from 107 to current level, so they're playing a little game of stock market here, which is fine. But I'm with Karen on this one. I think if you get a sort of a move lower in the broader market, Nike's not going to be insulated from it. So I think it goes down. He was flagging the fact that it did pull back 9 percent and then it traded up. 5%. 5%. So is the, is the benefit or the, the, the pros to buying it, are they cut in half now? He's talking about a multi-year ability to buy this thing. And I think that just judging on it for a trading ability, you already gave up half of the gains that he was looking for. And with the next downturn, with, the, with, with some sort of the virus issue headlines, you're going to wind up seeing, once again, two-thirds of the stock market sell off based on one of those uh, inflammatory headlines. Okay. Good discussion there. The dual calls of the day, by the way, on Nike. All right, coming up, we're going to check back in on shares of Alphabet, which is hosting its conference call right now. Josh Lipton has been listening in. He will bring you the latest of stock down 4.5% after hours. And then we are counting down to tomorrow night, Disney earnings. What can you expect when the company reports in less than 24 hours from now? How much did Baby Yoda Mm. add to the bottom line? We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Shares of Alphabet, Google's parent company, are down about 4.5% in the after hours on their results. Let's get back to Josh Lipton, who's been on the company's conference call and brings us some headlines from it. Josh. So, Brian, you know, this is the first time you're hearing from uh, Sundar Pichai on this call as Alphabet CEO. Remember, um, that transition was announced back in early December with uh, the founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, uh, stepping back uh, as their roles as CEO and president. He uh, began the call by talking a little bit about how he sees that role, about how he's going to approach managing Alphabet. Take a listen to that. Alphabet structure allows us to have a portfolio of different businesses with different time horizons without trying to stretch a single management team across different areas. We'll continue to take a long-term view, managing the portfolio with the discipline and rigor needed to deliver long-term returns. Uh, CFO Ruth Porat also on the call talking about results for the quarter. Total revenue up 17% to $46.1 billion. That did fall short of analyst expectations. Porat talking about uh, strength in search, YouTube and, and Google Cloud, uh, though they was offset, she said, uh, by declines in hardware revenues. She also talked about the outlook. Um, the name of the game here is going to be leaning into investment for long-term growth. She made that clear. Uh, Google Cloud, for example, ha- they're happy with revenues and contract sizes, the traction with 
large customers. She said they're going to invest aggressively there. Same thing with hardware. Um, she talked about that Fitbit acquisition. She says that'll add strong capabilities in wearables. But again, they are investing in hardware engineering and distribution chains. Headcount in 2019 was up 20 percent. Uh, Porat saying they expect that growth rate to be slightly higher in 2020. As for capital return, they repurchased 6.1 billion in shares in Q4. Porat saying they have 21 billion remaining in that program. Brian, back to you. All right, Joseph and Josh, thank you very much. All right, Dan, you got a final comment on Alphabet? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, like most of these things, it just literally went parabolic, not to the extent of like a Tesla's not a mania by any means, but, um, you know, the stock got a little ahead of itself. And I think it pulled back to that breakout level, a level that it was below for 18 or so months in 18 and 2019 makes sense. There's going to be entry points for these stocks that you love so much that have little hiccups here and there. And I think 1300 would be it. Okay, watching that 1300. All right, coming up. We are getting ready for Disney earnings. They're out after the bell tomorrow night. It is the first earnings report since the launch of Disney Plus and The Mandalorian. How much will that contribute for the company and maybe your investment in it? Plus, take a look at our Kramer Cram. James, uh, Jim is sitting, James, James, James sitting James. James. Mr. Kramer is sitting down with the CEO of one stock that is breaking out as the coronavirus spreads. That is Zoom video. Mm. We're going to tie the two together. Jim's interview coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And following Mad Money, a CNBC special report on the coronavirus, we're going to break down all the facts that you need to know about the outbreak and the possible economic impact of it. Stick with us. Fast Money is back right after this. All right, welcome back. Disney keeping the earnings parade moving right along tomorrow. The Magic Kingdom reporting tomorrow after the bell. It is Disney's first report since launching Disney Plus back in November. So will Disney deliver some magic for investors? Well, options traders, they're not quite convinced. Mike Coe is in San Francisco with the options action. Mike, what are you seeing? What kind of bets are being placed on Disney? Sure. So uh, I think the bet that we were going to be taking a look at today is one that's probably by somebody who holds a decent block of the stock. We are looking at about two times the normal options volume today. And right now the options market is implying a move of about 6% higher or lower by the end of the week. That's considerably larger than the eight-quarter average earnings move of about 2.5%. The trade that we saw that was pretty interesting to me, somebody went and bought the weekly 135 strike puts and then helped finance the purchase of those puts by selling the weekly 155 strike calls that expire next week. So the stock was about 141 when this took place. So they spent 85 cents. We'll set that aside for the moment and just consider what these two options actually represent. Essentially what's going on here, the person is getting protection for a 5% move to the downside and willing to sacrifice any gains of 10% or more to the upside for basically the period that goes from this Friday until next week. So this is an interesting trade that people who have had stocks that have gone up a lot, maybe like Tesla, they might want to consider. You can put a trade like this on, give yourself a little bit of protection and sell off some additional upside. It's more interesting to me in Disney, though, because really the stock is sort of sideways over the course of the last couple of months. So it's hard to see why they would be expressing so much concern. But we do have earnings and options market is implying a larger than average move. Larger than average move. Mike, Dan, I want to ask you, what do you think about the trade? You, you had sort of, I had asked you, what do you see from that? You said it was a collar. Yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike did a beautiful way of, did, well, so you're long stock and you're basically saying that this event tomorrow could yield uh, maybe a move to the downside that you're not that comfortable with. So you're willing to give up some upside for that downside protection. Looking at that chart back in April, when they announced that service, stock gap from below 120 to 130, it basically held all of that in November when they actually launched the Disney Plus service. Stock bounced off of 130, went up to 150. 
150 or so. I think traders would have loved to have seen it gotten a little lower today, back towards 130. That's great support for the stock. This investor, though, is saying, I want to hold my stock, but I want protection below that level. I mean, the setup to me seems very similar to Nike we just talked about. Premier company, it's a, you know, it should trade at a big valuation. Disney does trade at a big valuation. I, we'll see tomorrow, I think. But ultimately, it's, it's as Steve was saying, short-term of market stock. Look I, through Shanghai, though. Look, yeah, that I was going to say, I, I don't want to take anything away from our coverage because I want everybody to tune in. It's going to be another great show tomorrow night. But... This coronavirus is a first quarter thing for Disney, not a fourth quarter thing. Steve. It, it, it is. I, I, I totally hear you. But a lot of times stocks will trade on perception, not reality. So depending on what the commentary is about parks and about what they're doing around the coronavirus, you could see that come out uh, and translate to a lower stock price. Watch the 135 level in Disney. That's a recent low. And it has held that gap up since the release of this new streaming product. I would look for more multiple expansion going forward, but keep in mind 135 in case the stock trades lower. Okay, good stuff there. Guys, thank you very much. Mike Coa West, thank you. And for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, get them ready. Are you ready, guy? I'm ready. It's your final trades, and we've got them right after this. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Time for your final trades. Let's go around the horn, shall we? Steve Grasso, kick it off. IQ, this was my final trade on Friday. It popped about, at at, at the peak, I think it was roughly up 10%. This is the Chinese Netflix. I do think you see further strength in this one. 24 was major resistance. Keep an eye on this one. I think you're going to get an opportunity to buy it and an opportunity to sell it even higher. Wow. Yes. Even though I thought the market was a head fake, I did buy Anthem today. It's got a couple things going for it. They missed earnings last week and got crushed way too excessively, I thought. It's down on Bernie's rise in the polls. And I think the valuation is attractive. And Gail Boudreau, the CEO, bought $2 million worth of stock. Uh, Thursday or Friday. Insider, That's a lot for insider buying. Dan. Hey, GM uh, reports this week. Maybe when this Tesla fever breaks, you see money come back into this. It's got a whole 33 months. Oh, You're a baseball fan, there, Brian Sullivan. I am. Well, I you might have seen that Noah Syndergaard. The Noah Syndergaard won the uh, the power lunch. Power lunch. Good for him. So in honor of him, THO will get you done. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Oh, All right, we'll see you tomorrow night, Matt. When Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.